So you keep that open in front of you and we pray as we look at it together. Father, we've seen uh, much of what the Holy Spirit does and his role in Christians over the last couple of weeks. And Father, we pray again that he would be in work at work in us this morning. Please, Father, would you show us these words, show us what they mean, show us the, the deep joys and wonders and beauties and all the privileges that are for your children. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, growing up, uh, particularly as teenagers, I think we have a tendency to look at other people's families and go, aren't their families great? You know, and I had a very happy childhood. Uh, whether you did or not, I think we all know that feeling of looking at, I say, looking at someone else who goes, that's better. Their children are allowed to watch 15 films. They can have a beer while watching Match of the Day. Whatever it may be, there are, there are things we think, oh, that, that might be better. Wouldn't it be great to be in their family? This morning we are thinking about what it means for Christians to be in God's family. The best family. The one that it truly is worth being in. Of course, it doesn't mean leaving your natural family behind, but it means being adopted into this new family too. We're in Romans 8, we're looking at this chapter which gives glorious assurance to Christians, the assurance they can have in their relationship with God and in their salvation. And we've seen wonderful things already, haven't we? We've seen that for Christians there is now no condemnation, that is no guilty verdict and therefore no judge punishment coming after that. We've seen that we've been brought to new life, life that we enjoy now to some degree spiritually, but also eternal life, which will include our bodies. We've seen that Jesus, by his spirit, takes up residence in Christians. And I say today we are seeing how we are adopted into his family. So our starting point today in these verses is a new status. When somebody becomes a Christian, they are given a new status, a status as one of God's children. Verse 14, verse 15, verse 16, verse 17 all refer to Christians as God's children. Verse 14 and 15, they're described sons of God and sons. Now, ladies, that in no way um, excludes you Paul uses the word sons very deliberately because in that culture, as we'll see later, it is sons who receive the inheritance. So men, women alike are sons of God, those who are going to receive an inheritance. And indeed, in verse 16 and verse 17, it's children of God and children, men and women alike. And we see here in, this, in these verses well, one very prominent Bible um, commentator and author describes as the highest privilege of being a Christian. And we can understand why, can't we, given what we've seen thus far. We've seen that once all people were hostile to God, were unwilling to submit to him and unable to please him. And you take people like that and now say they are God's children. 
and enjoying the status and the blessings of being his children is truly remarkable. And it's also remarkable when you think of it this way, that what was true for Jesus when he was on earth is now also true for his people. We're going to look at this again a little bit later, um, but have a look down at verse 16. The, The end of it describes how Christians, by the Spirit, cry, Abba, Father. Abba, Father. That is what Jesus called God when he was here on earth. And now those who have been adopted can address him like that too. And you may know, you may have heard before that word Abba, kind of something similar to how we might say daddy. It's an intimate word of close relationship. Dear father. That is now what Christians call God. Now there are lots and lots of things that we, the ways in which we can describe God. Lots of ways that we can address him. Creator, yeah, definitely. Holy One, absolutely. Lord, Judge, Master, Mighty One. You could go on and on and on in the ways that we can address God. And all those things are true. And now Paul says, when somebody becomes a Christian, you are now, by the Spirit, able to call God Abba, Father. Now, how does this happen? How does this come, this new status come about? Well, in this country, how do we know when uh, an adopted child becomes part of this family? Well, they are issued with a certificate, something like this. Here's the official letter and the confirmation of the name change. Well, how about here? Verse 16 explains, for Christians, it's not receiving a certificate, it's receiving the Spirit. At the moment of conversion, when the Holy Spirit, as we saw last week, takes up residence, makes a Christian his home, there is a fundamental change in status. We are adopted into God's family. We've become children of God, and God is now our Father. So the starting point of all this is a new status, a new status as children of God that comes through and by the Holy Spirit. But with this new status comes a new obligation. A new obligation. See, as members of God's family, there should increasingly be a family resemblance. I'm going to be honest with you. You know when a baby's born and everyone says, oh, doesn't he look like daddy or look like mummy? I don't see that at all. I don't, don't get it. Even with my own, I didn't really get it. Um, but you know, th- kind of three months on, and the resemblance starts coming. At that stage, I'm like, oh, yeah, I, I can see that. And you know, if you go up after church, if you look around when the children come down, you look around, you'd be like, I see that. You can see the resemblance, can't you? Well, with Christians, there should be an increasing family resemblance between Christians and their brother Jesus. Christians and their father, God. Not in looks, of course, but in behavior. We should be like our father. And the way that Paul describes that here in these verses is by speaking of being a debtor or having an obligation. Have a look at verse 12. 
So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. And although it's not stated here, surely the positive is implied, we are debtors to the Spirit, to live according to the Spirit. Paul's saying, we're not, no longer are you debtors, are you obligated? Do you have an obligation to the flesh? Rather, we have this obligation to the Spirit. But we can go wrong here. Okay, my, my relationship to God is not the same as my relationship to NatWest Bank. Okay, I have a rather large mortgage debt with NatWest Bank. I have an obligation to pay them back. A legal obligation. If I don't do it, the bailiffs are coming or they'll repossess the home. Paul is not saying to us, right, God has saved you. God has brought you back into his family. Now you owe him. Start paying back that debt. You better live for him. The, the, the obligation, that language of debt is, isn't this kind of legal terminology. It, it's more of a logical one. It's the, the logical conclusion you come to. Because you see how verse 12 begins. So then, brothers. This is a, this is a conclusion. This is a, in light of what we said before. So then, you're not obligated. You're not a debt of the flesh. You have an obligation to the Spirit. So what has Paul said before? Well, over the last weeks, if you've been here, we've seen that, that these two parallels that Paul has been drawing, the the flesh and the spirit. And the things he said of the, the flesh, the flesh isn't our, you know, kind of a soft tissue, it's not our bodies, it, it's our internal self that is inclined against God and towards myself. Sinful nature, that, that's the flesh. And Paul has said, look, the flesh, the flesh leads to death. If you invest in the flesh, if you set your minds on the things of the flesh, if you live for the flesh, that leads to death. And by death, he means eternal death, judgment, separation from God for all eternity. The flesh is hostile to God. The flesh is unwilling to submit to him. The flesh is unable to please God, we've seen over the last few weeks. Now, if that is true, if sin is just ruining your life and would lead you to hell, why on earth would you live for it? You have no debt to flesh. You have nothing to be paid back for. There's no responsibility or obligation to live for that anymore. On the flip side, Paul has been saying, again, when somebody becomes a Christian, when the Spirit moves in, you have the Spirit of life. The Spirit who brings life now and will bring life for all eternity. We have a responsibility no longer for the flesh, but for the Spirit to live for Him. Verse 13 just kind of summarizes that quite nicely for us, doesn't it? For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you will put to death the deeds of the body and you will live. If you, think, if you try and live with this, or if you live with this obligation to the flesh, it leads to death. But rather, if you're of the Spirit, which, again, he's been stressing the Roman churches, if you're a Christian, rather we should be putting to death the deeds of the body. And when you do that, you will live. 
Now, the deeds of the body, they're, they're the, I guess, the, the outworkings of the flesh. So we said our flesh is that, that internal nature that is um, inclined to away from God and towards ourself. Well, the deeds of the body is, is how those things are actually uh, enacted. And Paul says, put them to death. It might sound a little bit strange, the deeds of the body. Paul's not talking about self-flagellation or anything like that. But he talks in this extreme language to show the seriousness of what needs to be done. Paul's saying that you've got an enemy that is intent on doing you harm, that is trying to kill you. Therefore, kill it. It's kill or be killed when it comes to my sin. He's saying, look, don't be, if I can put it this way, don't be a Bond villain. Because what do Bond villains do? Bond villains capture James Bond, don't they? Now, James Bond is intent on stopping them. What they should do, make a rubbish film, but the moment you catch James Bond, you go, bang, done. And now what they do, they like to keep him alive and toy with him and play with him, and then obviously he, gets, he escapes and manages to come out and capture and stop them. Paul says, don't be like that with sin. Don't be like that with sin. Don't play with it. Don't toy with it. Be ruthless with it. Put it to death. Be active. And, and, and when it says put, put to death, it is uh, in the, um, the present continuous. It's, it's like keep doing it. This isn't a one-time thing. It's not one bullet and it's over forever. Now, as Christians, we know we've been set free from the flesh, but we're still in these bodies and we live in this tension, this wrestling, this ongoing battle. And that will be the case for the rest of our lives. But put it to death, Paul says. Put it to death. And that's hard, that hurts. You know, uh, the, 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 the flesh and, and sin, the devil, they you know, whisper, look, if you do this, you'll be better off. This will make you happy. This will bring you fulfillment. This will bring you peace. This will bring you joy, whatever it is. And it hurts to say no, but that leads to life. And I want to see two things. Firstly, it is something that Christians are to do. We are to do it. Paul says to us, put to death the deeds of the body. That is what he's saying, it's implying. It, that is going to take desire, determination, and discipline. But we can only do that by the Spirit. Only he can give the desire, determination, and discipline to do it. And so again, do you see in verse 12, for if you live according to the flesh, you'll die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. I went been sailing once in my life. It looked absolutely nothing like this, I can tell you. It was a rainy day in Ireland, and I spent more time in the water than in the boat. Um, but what I do know about sailing is if you're in a sailing boat, you are sailing the boat. But where does the power come from in sailing? The power comes from the wind. And so Paul is saying here, put to death the deeds of the body. We have to do it, but where does the power come from? from the Holy Spirit who's in us. He's the one who gives us the desire to 
put to death those things. He's the one who gives us the determination to keep going. He's the one who gives us the discipline. And this morning, I'm sure there will be people who've come in, even conscious of this morning, how they have failed in their struggles. Just to remind you that the resources for this battle are not your own. We do it. We do it by the Spirit. We do it by the Spirit. And that's why Paul goes on into verse 14. For, again, see all the linking words, but for all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. This verse isn't talking about leading in terms of leading through tricky decisions or career paths or whatever that might be. To be led by the Spirit here, Paul is talking about being led in the fight against sin. Being led to put to death the deeds of the body. And Paul is saying in these verses that if you are in Christ, if you have the Spirit in you, well, you will be seeking to do this. Anyone seriously struggling to put to death the deeds of the body are clearly being led by the Spirit. And anyone who's led by the Spirit, verse 14, are sons of God. I think Christians can sometimes be shaken because of their failures. But actually, again, this struggle is the mark of membership of God's family. And this is why now Paul goes on, I think, in, because in the light of that struggle that can, can lead to, to doubts and our failures, now why Paul stresses there is a new assurance. Paul now stresses the basis of our relationship with God once again. So verse 15, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you've received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. You see, we don't live, Christians don't now live their lives as slaves, begrudgingly seeking to try and please him, to try and please some cruel slave master, fearful that if I don't do well enough, he's going to reject me and kick me out of the family. No. Paul says, no, you didn't receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. You receive the spirit of sonship, the spirit of adoption, sorry, as sons. So I'm not God's slave, I am God's son. Because that's who the spirit is. The spirit is the spirit of adoption, not slavery. Christians don't live their lives now fearful of losing their status, and they don't fight sin in that trembling, I've got to do well enough, otherwise he's going to kick me out. Now, we do say that fight because of the hatred of everything that dishonors God. And as we briefly looked at before, we have this confidence. The Spirit enables us, again, as verse 15 says, to cry out, Abba, Father. Christians have unlimited access and confident access to God anytime we like through prayer. And if you watched the, the coronation or if you maybe even went down um, into town to, to be there, you were one in the crowds. Well, even if you were there, even if you're on the front row, you can wave at the king, 
can shout at the king. You can't just stroll up there and talk to him. But in, in healthy family environments, what confidence children have to enter their parents' presence. They don't need to be invited. They don't need to creep, crawl in trepidation. It can be tricky, can't it, in times of working from home? <laughs> Maybe times of... But it's lovely. Children have that unlimited and confident access to their parents. Complete confidence there. And it's same now Christians have. We have the spirit of adoption as sons by whom, through him, we can cry, Abba, Father. And this confidence aspect is stressed again in verse 16. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. I think this is isn't talking about some mystical voice saying, yes, you are my, my child. But rather it is the Spirit working and speaking to our spirits to say, yes, you really are. You know, it, it, it's, it's the, uh, the connection between verse 15 and 16. The fact that we feel able to cry, Abba, Father. Where does that come from? Where, where does my confidence to cry, Abba, Father, come from? It comes from the Spirit, testifying that to my spirit, that I'm his child. What it, what, why is it that when I have sinned and messed up again, why do I think, you know, I can go back to God's? confess my sin and I'm still his child. Why do I think that? Well, it's because the Spirit's work in me, assuring me that I'm his child. So after, the, after Paul is stressing the obligation that comes with being God's children, and inevitably that does lead to, to doubt sometimes when we, we don't do it as well as we like, would like, Paul stresses the confidence, the certainty, the assurance that his children have by the Spirit's. And then finally, we have a new privilege. Uh, in, in Roman society, adoption was, was common. It usually worked a bit differently to, to adoption today. In those days, adoption was actually often done of adults, as adults were chosen to, to someone to carry the line and to bring um, the reputation, to establish a reputation and a lineage of a family. And so someone's chosen to be their son. But in that society, again, the, the adopted children had exactly the same rights as any of the natural family. And that is true of God's family too. So have a look at verse 17. See, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. See, as Christians now, we are heirs. We become heirs, hence the sons of God. We are sons of God. And what does that mean? Well, we are heirs. We are co-heirs with Christ. And that remarkable privilege means that all that is promised to Jesus, his son, is now true of his adopted sons. You can follow this earlier in the chapter, uh, earlier in the book of Romans, but God's promises to Abraham and Abraham's descendant, 
which is Christ. Jesus will inherit the whole world. And now Christians will too. I think it's also more than that. The inheritance that we look forward to, I don't know, maybe um, you, you, you're kind of looking forward to some form of inheritance. Maybe there's a family heirloom or expensive jewellery or whatever it is. Well, our inheritance, our inheritance, the thing we look forward to, is not only kind of things, but it's God himself. We are heirs of God. The Holy Spirit now is, as it were, a down payment for our relationship with God. We get to enjoy and part now and we'll fully enjoy perfectly in the future. There is one condition there. We'll save that for next time, though. As we wrap up, again through these verses, do you see the centrality of the Holy Spirit in a Christian's life? The Holy Spirit leads a Christian to put to death the sinful deeds of the body. The Holy Spirit replaces fear with freedom. The Holy Spirit prompts a Christian to, be, to call God Abba, Father. The Holy Spirit, he's the first fruits guaranteeing a, a, a taste of what is to come in our inheritance. And the cent, part of the central work of the Holy Spirit in a Christian's life is to convince you that you really are part of the family. He wants you to be free of the misery and the mess of sin. He wants you to know that you are God's child and have access to him. He wants you to know the privileges and rights that you have as his people. This is the Holy Spirit's work in his children. And if you're this morning, you think, I don't have that confidence I'm not sure. What do we do? Well, most importantly, we come back to the finished work of Jesus again. Our confidence before God only ever rests on Jesus' performance, not our own. And this morning, if you are trusting in the Lord Jesus, you come to him to deal with your problem of sin, well, there is your confidence that you are indeed one of his people, and that the Spirit is at work in you. And again, brothers and sisters, what a joy adoption is. Let's make the most of that privilege. Let's make the most of the fact we have free, unrestricted, confident access to our Abba Father in heaven. Enjoy our prayer lives. Using prayer not as a, as a shopping list of things that we want, but of the enjoying of our relationship with our God and Father. Let's pray that it would all be true for us. Abba, Father, we thank you so much for your Spirit's work in your children, to make us your children, to help us walk as your children to help us pray as your children, to help us to look forward as your children. And we pray for that ongoing work in us, to strengthen us for the fight and to give us the power to do so, that we would seek to be living to please you, our Father, in everything. In Jesus' name, amen.